This series contains adult language and descriptions of graphic violence. Listener discretion is advised. Hello. Hello. Happy Saturday. Is Indeed. It, oh, I was going to say, I almost just said, is it Saturday? It is Saturday. I don't think we've really... <laughs> Izzy thinks it's Saturday. I think we've really recorded on Saturdays very much. But we are. So happy Saturday. And welcome back to Death by Southwest, the podcast where each week I share a different grisly murder story unique to the American Southwest, while my sister and co-host tries to piece together the clues and unravel the mystery behind each of these heinous crimes. I'm your host, Margo. And I'm Jenna. And here we are with episode, what is this, 24? Yep. 24. Episode 24 on Saturday. And we just had a traumatic experience (laughs) with Izzy, my bulldog, and Indiana, the new puppy. They both like ice. And so we were making a, I was making a cocktail, and I gave a piece of ice to Izzy and she dropped out of her mouth, and Indiana lost her shit and went after Izzy trying to get the ice. And Jenna helped and came and pulled them apart. And even when I tried to give them each their own piece of ice, Indiana, like, wouldn't let up. She's a... It was something. Yeah, it was. She like went after. She went. She just kept trying to go after Izzy, go after Izzy. So she's ice aggressive. Ice aggressive. It's the first time I've ever seen her do it, but I, I really didn't like it. It, it made me nervous. I do not want to have an aggressive dog like that. So if anybody listening has any amazing dog training, puppy training kind of tips or tricks, I'd love to hear them. I can't have anybody impacting Izzy's. Uh, health and wellness here that's true that's totally true anyways welcome back and on today's episode we are diving into one of the most twisted crime stories to ever emerge from the southwest it's a story so shocking and horrific that you'd swear the details were ripped straight from the pages of a hollywood movie script but what you're about to hear is an unsettling reminder that reality can be far more terrifying than fiction This is the story of David Parker Ray, a name that has now become synonymous with pure evil. Dubbed the Toy Box Killer, David Parker Ray's heinous crimes spanned over four decades, leaving a trail of victims and unimaginable horrors across New Mexico. We'll delve into his dark psyche, taking a chilling look at the shocking depths of his depravity and the unsuspecting victims who fell into his clutches. You know, some people enjoy composing their own music, chord by chord, and others are happiest when they come across that one perfect song. Work is not a lot different than that. Whether you prefer building your own workflow or using a pre-made template, with Monday.com, you and the team can work in a way that's comfortable for everyone. Tap the banner to go to Monday.com and build your own amazing workflow, or find an awesome template. No judgment. Introducing Bluehost Cloud, ultra-fast WordPress hosting with 100% uptime. Want a website with unmatched power, speed, and control? Of course you do. And now you can have all three with Bluehost Cloud, the new web hosting plan from Bluehost, with 100% uptime and incredibly speedy load times. 
your WordPress websites will be dependable and lightning fast on a global scale. Plus, your sites can handle even the biggest traffic spikes without going down or lagging. And with Bluehost Cloud, you get 24-7 WordPress priority support, meaning you're connected to WordPress experts anytime you need them. Not to mention, you automatically get daily backups and world-class security. So, what are you waiting for? Get Bluehost Cloud today by visiting bluehost.com. That's bluehost.com. And right off the top, I just want to say that this is probably the most graphic story that we've had. When I first came to know about this story maybe a year ago, and I was reading about it, like it turned my stomach. I mean, it's a very, very graphic, um, upsetting story. So happy Saturday. (laughs) So if it's not, if it's any of the listeners aren't like up for that kind of thing today, yeah, listen to the next episode. Right. Yeah. Maybe, maybe skip this one. Um, you know, I know we have the graphic warning right at the very top of the episode, but this one is this episode and I have a pretty strong stomach and can handle disturbing things. And this even, um, this one really, I found it, it's a tough one. It's a tough one. So I just want to let people know that if you're not up for it, maybe skip it. Does that apply to me too? <laughs> I'm all, I need a stand in. Well, we're going to, you know, we're going to ease in. We're going to do yeah, our, our sense of place. I'll survive. So this takes place in New Mexico, in in several places in New Mexico. His, his crime spree and killing spree um, spanned through Albuquerque, Elephant Butte, and truth or consequences all in New Mexico. There's also some speculation that it may have even dipped into Arizona, Texas, Mexico. We're going to focus our sense of place on two on two places that we haven't spoken about before. A lot Albuquerque is not a big part of this, so Elephant Butte and Truth or Consequences New Mexico are the two main location players in this story. So that's where we're going to focus our sense of place. Hmm. And do you know anything about either of them? Um, I've never heard of Elephant Butte. Truth or Consequences, I've heard of. I've heard it's, I think I was saying earlier, I've heard it's like a smaller town slash city. I said I think it's like an artsy place. I think there's... um, what are they called? Like springs, uh, hot springs. Oh, you're you're totally right. That's li- I've never been there. I don't. I that's it. I don't know how I know that little teeny tiny tad. Yeah, if it's correct. That is actually correct. We're going to talk about Elephant Butte first, so I'll tell you more about Truth or Consequences. But you're absolutely right. All okay. the things you just said are true. So Elephant Butte is situated in the southern part of New Mexico, near the border of Texas. It's nestled along the eastern shore of the Elephant Butte Reservoir, which is the largest reservoir in New Mexico. It's surrounded by desert landscapes, mountains, and it's about 150 miles south of Albuquerque. Okay. I think I'd heard of Elephant Butte, but I I didn't know much about it. It's very small, around 1,500 residents. Mm. So that can increase during um, tourism season, but that's nothing. Fifteen. I went. I graduated with more kids in my graduating class in high school than that. Mm-hmm. Like that's crazy to me. It's super small. It was established in 1912 as a result of the construction of the Elephant Butte Dam, which was built to control the flow of the Rio Grande River and provide irrigation water to nearby agricultural areas. There's no elephants 
in Elephant Butte, (laughs) 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 if you couldn't guess. But it's named after a prominent volcanic core formation called Elephant Butte, Hmm. I guess. Um, So the reservoir, Elephant Butte Reservoir, is a very popular recreational area for boating, fishing, swimming, camping. It's over 40 miles. You can do water sports. It's got beaches. So it it almost is like a beach in the desert, kind Mm -hmm. of. You know, with 1,500 people, a, a huge part of the economy is the tourism because of the reservoir. So a lot of people go there to enjoy water activities like boating and jet skiing. There's also bird watching and lots of natural beauty. In addition to the reservoir, the town has campgrounds, RV parks, marinas, boat ramps, picnic areas, and a handful of restaurants. But, I mean, with 1,500 people, not not a lot. Sure. Pretty tiny. The Gila National Forest is also nearby with lots of hiking trails. So I guess this the, this volcanic core formation, it resembles the shape of an elephant, which is uh. why it was that inspired the name of the town. They So a, a couple interesting things if you happen to find yourself in Elephant Butte, which I really like the name. Uh-huh. It's kind of cool. They have an unusual underground museum called the Geronimo Springs Museum. It's an underground museum that showcases artifacts and exhibits related to local history, Native American cultures, and natural resources. Pretty supposed to be a pretty unique experience because it's underground. And Elephant Butte gained some attention among UFO enthusiasts due to an alleged UFO landing pad. Some people claim that an area near the town called the UFO Landing Strip is a designated location for extraterrestrial visitors. It's, you know, I mean, it's speculation, local lore, but people who are very into that believe that this is this is where extraterrestrial visitors come. I think even sometimes if people aren't like super into that or don't fully believe, like I'm into all the space and alien stuff, but I'm not sure where I land on the spectrum of belief, yeah. but it's still cool, super right? Cool. Yeah. Very pretty place. We'll have to post some pictures on that. And now we will talk about truth or consequences, which is about five miles from Elephant Butte. What is the biggest city town nearby? Closest. Yeah, truth or consequences. Which still doesn't, I imagine, or in my mind, doesn't have that big of a population. But It doesn't. It has more, though. It's around 6,300 people. Which is still pretty small. Very small. Very small. Um, a lot of people think of Truth or Consequences as a resort town. The name Truth or Consequences came from a popular radio quiz show in the 1950s that was called Truth or Consequences. And and the town renamed itself after this show. It was originally called Hot Springs, New Mexico. Oh, okay. Yeah. So that's... Must have been, I read something in mm-hmm. Hot Springs. Yep. Um, so the the radio show actually aired an episode and said, we're challenging like a town to rename itself after our radio show. And and Hot Springs, New Mexico said, okay, we will. Why do you think they did? Did they get, was there some benefit? Besides um, it's a cool name. I mean. I don't know. It was just like a radio show challenge, I guess. And maybe they like you said probably it probably gained some some tourism attention like, yeah if people liked that game show or whatever yeah 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 i found a website that talked about truth or consequences and i think this is a really i'm reading directly from the website but i think this is a really good description 
and kind of speaks to what you were saying that you knew about it aside from the hot springs, which I'll get to, but um, it says truth or consequences is a place where time honored traditions mixed with interesting new ventures where residents tending the best legacies of the past are joined up by an up and coming group of creative, cool kids committed to helping the town explore new horizons. It attracts health seekers and snowbirds as it has for decades but this town of 6,300 holds hopes for a new era of visitors. Aided by a possible spaceport boom and carried out amid a quirky blend of hippies, artists, entrepreneurs, and two of the richest men in the world, Ted Turner and Richard Branson. What is it? What is, so spaceport boom, does that go back to like, it's just mere miles from Elephant Butte. So is, are those the same thing? So we talked about the spaceport on a previous episode we did in New Mexico, and I think we did it in Las Cruces or something. But Spaceport America America is the world's first purpose-built commercial spaceport, like for spaceships. And it is... Um, Does that mean where they land and take off? Mm-hmm. Uh, and it is and exploration and, you know, all the... Training tra- and all the things. Yeah, yeah, all the things. And so that the first one is just outside of truth or consequences. Oh, Look how cool. cool this looks. Whoa, I'd like to go to work there every day. Yeah, it looks super neat. I should have been an astronaut. Yeah, it looks or cool. A scientist. It's an FAA licensed launch complex situated on 18,000 acres adjacent to the U.S. Army White Sands Missile Range in southern New Mexico. What's it called? Is there like a name? Spaceport That's America. That's it, okay, okay. Yeah. And it's um, it's a rocket friendly environment of six thousand square miles of restricted airspace. It has a twelve thousand foot by two hundred foot runway, vertical launch complexes. That's why I meant it's mentioned in discussing truth or consequences because it is very close. It's just outside of truth or consequences. I wonder how many people work there. It's okay. I put it on the lookup list, but okay. like because there's such a low population in all these kind of cities yeah, around. That's yeah, that's true. I bet a lot of people who live in these cities around right. live there for Right, and so they come that. in, but like that's yeah. a, big sp- a big facility, right? Okay, go on. One of the defining features of truth or consequences is its abundance of natural hot springs which have attracted visitors for centuries is what this website says it seems Mm. like a lot of time Um, these hot springs offer a relaxing and therapeutic experience with mineral rich waters believed to have healing properties There, there are several bathhouses and spas where locals and tourists can soak in these rejuvenating waters Beyond the hot springs, which is really one of the main draws, uh, apparently, of this town. I want to go. I love a hot spring. Yeah. Sounds, I mean, a rejuvenating one with like healing. I mean, I think all hot springs are. If they're natural, they're all you could. Well, depending on who you are or what you believe, like, that's why I go stand in. I don't know. I shouldn't get in on top of this. (laughs) But like every time it rains, I go outside because it's like, you know, how rainwater, the ionization helps the plants. I feel like it helps my being. Yeah, I agree. Truth or Consequences also boasts a charming downtown area, unique shops, restaurants, art galleries. There's a great local art scene, a lot of antique stores, um, a lot of cozy eateries. They also host several festivals each year, including the Hot Springs Festival. It's a great place for outdoor enthusiasts because obviously Elephant Butte Reservoir and Lake is nearby. Uh, Despite its small size, Truth or Consequences has a vibrant community spirit and welcoming atmosphere. The locals are known for their friendliness and hospitality, making visitors feel right at home. OK, 
Okay, that was. I feel like that was a brief sense of place, but maybe that's good because we it was have a thirty-minute sense of place. Oh well, well, thirty-minute <laughs> opener, not all sense of place. I'll try and cut it down a bit. Well, I don't care because I don't listen. <laughs> <laughs> I know that's interesting. It's funny because I was always surprised. Like Joe and Oliver, Joe would listen to the show. Oliver, I don't think he's ever heard an episode of Daddy Issues. Like he never listened to it, and I. He's that's not true. He's heard episodes, but Joe would listen to it, I think, pretty regularly, and I would listen to it all the time. It wasn't me right. hosting the show. That's a big part of it. From like, yeah. I don't also, I'm here, right? You're even living if I can't, it, right? Even if I can't remember because we do episode here this week, next week, I can't recall all the details, but I don't, I don't need to re listen, right? Well, we're, we're. We're going to jump into our story. Of course, uh, Henry and Indiana have decided to really pick up the playing right now. So if you hear some dog commotion in the background, that's where it's coming from. Maybe we should just add it as like a warning. Just At like the you have the graphic violence. Right. Just like stuff. on each episode, you have the graphic dog barking and playing right. in the background. You're right. We probably should. Or maybe we should just for new listeners, like from moving forward, for moving forward, just don't say anything. And See then if they they'll notice. Yeah, and then maybe someone will write in and be like, "What the fuck was that dinosaur noise?" You know. <laughs> Remember when Pilot threw up? When we yeah, were doing and it the sounds like a dinosaur. Ooh. To me, it sounds like a dinosaur, like Mark's uh, dishwasher. Mm, very true. We have a lot of interesting sounds in our life. Let's jump in to this story because it is a pretty extensive one. I'll tell you right up top. This is probably going to be a two-parter. I know I already said the description not that long ago, but this is the story of the toy box killer, which is one of the most prolific and heinous serial killers to ever emerge from the Southwest. And his crime spanned over four decades and left a trail of many victims behind him. So he was dubbed the toy box killer much later in life, but from a young age when he was born on November 6, 1939 in Belen, New Mexico. His name was David Parker Ray, and his father was Cecil Ray, and his mother was Nettie Ray. He had a younger sister, just one year younger than him, Peggy. Peggy was known for being a cute, popular girl, while David was a bit more of a quiet loner. They were very poor, so due to their poor financial situation, the whole family lived with David's mother's parents on a small ranch, and that's kind of where they grew up. And growing up on on the countryside, countryside makes me think of like middle America or even the south, like south, like Georgia, Alabama. Countryside doesn't, I don't really think of New Mexico when I think of countryside, but I guess it is the desert countryside. Well, yeah, and depending, and again, I, I don't know that much, but New Mexico can be desert, high desert, like different. That's true. But also, what does countryside mean? You don't have to look it up. I'll put it in the lookup list. Right, I, because I think, I think just countryside rural, could be very right. rural. So Mark's mom. Yeah, that's true. That's a good point. Our story, like obviously we said, takes place in Truth or Consequences in Elephant Butte. Bellin is just south of Albuquerque, pretty mm. close to Albuquerque, much closer than uh, it's about halfway in between Albuquerque and Truth or Consequences. Okay, but it was a very rural area, which for David, who was pretty shy and kind of reserved and kept to himself, this afforded him a lot of solitude and a lot of time alone. 
And this translated into long hours that he would spend kind of as a young boy venturing into the desert, exploring, hiking around. And as he got a little bit older, that then became taking joy rides on his dirt bike throughout Mm -hmm. the desert. He was not exactly the center of attention, kind of an outcast, but he also wasn't a troublemaker in high school. He just was, he just kind of faded into the background mostly. His father was a violent alcoholic who fought often with his mother and lashed out frequently at David's mother. Eventually, David's father abandoned the family. I also saw some articles that said that David, Peggy, and their mother left David's father. Either which way, they they were, were estranged. estranged. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Once they became estranged and the father was gone, David's father was gone, his mother shipped him and his sister off to his grandparents, I believe the other grandparents, because they were already living initially with... David's mom. Or David's parents? With the mother's parents. Oh, the mother's. Okay, Mm -hmm. so then what? She shipped him off to... To His parents, I believe. Which I guess maybe they weren't alcoholics. You know, it was unclear. I could also see it being that she kept the kids there and she took off. Who knows? Well, sure. I think the, the kind of moral of it is that Peggy and David were abandoned by their parents pretty much and left to be brought up by grandparents. Um, and his grandparents were known to be extremely strict and abusive as well. Oh, just like because I was about was. to say like, oh, that's sad. And also maybe better. maybe better yeah. if. Yeah, it doesn't sound that much better. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So um, not only were his grandparents extremely strict and somewhat physically abusive, but the real abuse came from his aunt who forced herself on him and made him have sex with her multiple times throughout his um, teenage years. Yeah, I was wondering, and again, I ask a lot of questions that don't actually really matter, but like how, I wondered what age this was around, maybe adolescence. Adolescence. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Um, Throughout these years where his mother was gone, his father was gone, he was being abused by his grandparents and his sexually abused by his aunt, he did still see his father, not frequently, but regularly. And I don't know if that was every couple months, twice a year, but there was some regular kind of visitation, I guess, where the dad would come back into the picture. And it was not a positive reunion. Whenever he came back, he was, as I stated, a, a, an alcoholic, pretty violent, would often beat David, and then started bringing David when David was young teens, 13, 14, 15, um, violent X-rated magazines that depicted sadomasochistic pornography. Oh, wow. Um, and this was kind of the beginning of David's obsession with bondage and sadomasochism from like 14 years old. He was He had always been very shy around girls. And when I read that, like 14, I was like, well, that's just when you're learning about girls. But really, like, I was going to say like, that not every 14 year old I don't know I'm not a 14 year old male but <laughs> it seems not that uncommon to be shy around females sure there's again like a spectrum totally I think he was noticeably uncomfortable fearful. and sh- very fearful of girls and and he was bullied for it by his peers they bullied him because he like he wouldn't even talk to girls apparently it was it was that kind of obvious and not to mention he had a very terrible home life it sounds like well Right, I think one, maybe he would have been fearful anyways, 
but one that didn't right. help the cause. Right. And then he started, you know, from that young age where you're just developing your understanding of the opposite sex and your sexuality and all those things. Now he's being fed these very violent, like sex is, from the little he knows about it, all he's really seeing at this point is violent sex. And these these insecurities and this terrible home life, it eventually led him to start drinking and abusing drugs from a very young age. Apparently when his, he was about 14 years old, his sister came across in his room a notebook with really violent sadomasochistic drawings, pornographic drawings, bondage drawings, um, and it really freaked her out. And from that point on, she kept her distance from him. And then pretty much they never spoke once they went their separate ways after high school. So mm. he graduated from high school in 1957 and went on to join the army working as a mechanic. Um, when his enlistment was over, he was honorably discharged and came back to New Mexico. He worked a number of odd jobs um, but eventually found work as a maintenance man for New Mexico State Parks in Truth or Consequences. And that's where he worked pretty much for the, the remainder of his adulthood. And after finding that job, he settled in Elephant Butte. Don't miss what happens next in today's episode. We'll be right back after a short message from our sponsors. Calling all lovers of mystery. Prepare to don your detective hat in June's Journey, a free hidden object mobile game that delves into the captivating journey of June Parker, a self-proclaimed detective on a quest to unravel the mystery surrounding her sister's untimely death. Take a trip in time to the glitzy 20s and play as June, deciphering clues and unveiling secret plots within thousands of beautifully illustrated scenes. The thrill is endless with new chapters added weekly allowing you to not only enjoy the detective adventure, but also to personalize and decorate your very own Orchid Island where the story takes place. How sharp are your detective skills? Find out when you download June's Journey on your Android or iOS device or play online via Facebook games. Your detective journey awaits. When you make decisions for your company, you always look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing and shipping to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your process to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, books, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart if you sell online, schedule package pickups through the dashboard, and automatically see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers, with rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are, even on the go. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other business decision makers with Stamps.com. Sign up at Stamps.com with code PROGRAM for a special offer that includes a four-week trial, plus free postage, and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM. He became involved in a very small underground BDSM scene and attended secret parties and clubs. So this is, you know, he's in his 20s at this point. At in least. the early 60s, maybe, or late 50s? Yeah, yeah. So he, he graduated in 1957. He was in the Army for several years, mm. discharged, got a job. So we're thinking 60s. 60s. Yeah, 
And so even though he was part of this small, and I'd have to imagine very small, because Elephant Butte, what, had 1,500 people? So if there's a secret BDSM club, what are there, six people involved well, in Well, maybe it? it's not just for people of Elephant Butte. Maybe it people was come Albuquerque from or someone, yeah, you know, true. like the surrounding areas. Nonetheless, still, I imagine not only quite small, but especially back then, like Elephant Butte, you said, had 1,500 people. Yeah. Now. Yeah. So 60 years ago. Yeah. Again, my lookup, it'll be on the lookup list, but I'll just say what I'm thinking. Like, I wonder what, or maybe people know, like an underground or any BDSM kind of community. Community, is that what you called it? Yeah, club, scene. Club. Does that mean, is it kind of like um, uh, that kind of fetish or leaning? Do they actually interact, like have sexual intercourse or do sexually sexual parties? Yeah, okay. I would. I, I take it as that way. I don't. I do not know for certain. Yeah, I guess. What else I, would it be? What are they giving lectures about? How to do BDSM right. TED talks? Maybe and, you know yeah. that'd be cool. <laughs> online forums. That'd well, there be wa- there wasn't online back then. But oh, yeah. really? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's that's what I'd imagine. Yeah, to be. I guess that makes so, sense. So, so yeah. So this is we're thinking mid sixties, early seventies. He's in his twenties, thirties. Realistically, we now know that the that his his crimes that he ended up committing were believed to have begun far earlier in life as early as the mid 1950s when he was in high school so this wasn't determined until later but people believe that he started abusing victimizing killing murdering people as early as his teens he actually recorded a message and i'll give you the context on this message later on but in 1993 he recorded a message that said i've been Again, graphic. I've been raping bitches ever since I was old enough to jerk off and tie little girls' hands behind their backs. Wow. Yeah. That, that, I guess that's a great tidbit to just indicate that's probably the least offensive thing that will be said in the rest of this. It's going to be heavy. I'm, I'm kind of alluding to these things that make him, that let you know that he's, there's, there's something off. He's not. He's not right. We obviously know that he is eventually a killer. But those who knew David in his early years of life and throughout him getting out of the army and and working for the parks department said that he seemed like a regular guy. No one had any trouble with him. He had no criminal record. There had never been any suspicions about what he might be doing on the property that he bought in Elephant Butte, which he was actually leasing from the park service that he worked for. Everyone kind of found him to be just like a friendly, like, hi, how's it going, neighbor. And and in Elephant Butte, like his property and land, you know, he had a lot of land. Mm. So you're not exactly like getting your mail and running into people. Sure. But driving in and out and the town is small. He had to go to the local market or right. whatever. People were familiar with restaurant, each other. Restaurant, bar, whatever. Exactly. And yeah. found him to be a, you know, pleasant, nice I- guy. That was a part of him, probably, is sure. my, I'm just guessing right now, like, that he was, a part of him was just a regulation guy that wanted a regulation life. Totally. And then whatever victims, those were the people that saw the other side of him. Absolutely. Yes. So all these people who thought that he was just an average, normal, nice guy were, yes, only seeing one side of him and and pretty mistaken in their understanding of who he was, because it is estimated that he raped, tortured, and killed over 50 women. Over those four decades? Yeah. Wow. In a self-made torture room, which was a repurposed cargo trailer located on his property in Elephant Butte, and he called it 
his toy box. Ah, yeah. hence the name. The toy box killer. Ah, yes. uh, so, okay, so he lived on, let's just say, I don't know if you know, it acres. doesn't matter. It, yeah, okay, I was going to say a couple acres. Mm-hmm. He had his little house here. An and RV. like a, Some cars over here. Mm-hmm. And then this cargo trailer. Cargo trailer, which is like a, you could hook it up maybe to a car and yep. trail it. Yep. Uh, yep, yep. It's essentially like a... Like the back of a semi truck, basically, or like but, a U-Haul or that U-Haul, you'd attach very, to an, a, exactly. an SUV type thing. A big, yeah, yeah. yes, a big U-Haul. Yep. And so he outfitted this trailer, soundproofed it, outfitted it with whips, chains, pulleys, straps, clamps, leg spreader bars, surgical blades, electric shock machines, saws, and so much more that we will get into. Leg spreader, like as in uh, when you go to the OBGYN. Exactly like that. Yeah. Yep. Oh uh, my gosh. Yeah. You guys take care if you're listening. Yes. Gosh. Yeah. He had different contraptions that he built and created that would immobilize his victims while him, his friends, and even his dogs performed horrible acts on them. Some of these victims possibly lived. Most of them did not, but the ones who did were given such a strong concoction of drugs that were known to cause memory loss, so they could not properly remember what had happened to them. Wow. Well, I'm either, well, my first thought was, well, someone, it didn't work well enough on someone. I don't know if that's true. Obviously, you're not going to say it, but uh, it could just be evidence and stuff. But you did say he, this David was caught at some point. So. Yes. Oh, God. Yeah. He um, he liked to view himself as a man in control and command. He thought of his victims as expendable pawns in his game and referred to them as packages. He, over the years, enlisted multiple accomplices, including all of his ex-wives, of which there were four. Mm. Uh, he was married and divorced four times. He had two daughters from two separate marriages. One, I don't know anything about one of the daughters, but the other one uh, he lived with, and you will during learn- this time on mm-hmm. the on the property. Yes, of will- the New Mexico State Park somewhere. Yes, you or will- one of the parks. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. You will learn more about about her and. All of his exes were suspected to have either been accomplices in his crimes or at the very least be made aware of them. They knew what was happening because, remember, he was doing this from teenage years. He allegedly told his first wife that he committed his, his first homicide sometime in 1957 when he kidnapped a woman, tied her to a tree, and tortured her before murdering her. So he was 18 then in 57. He was born in yeah, 39. Wow. Mm-hmm. And his wives were not the only accomplices that he enlisted to help him act out these sick and twisted fantasies. You said friends. Friends. And after the fourth divorce in 1997, he met a woman, 37-year-old Cindy Hendy, who also worked at a state park in Truth or Consequences. Uh, She had gotten this job after she ditched her three children and fled from Seattle because she was wanted on grand theft, forgery, and drug charges. He was 58 then, though, in 97. Wow. Yeah, she was 37. That's the least of my worry, right? Like, good, (laughs) good. And also, wow, he was really, wow. And, And what's shocking is that Really, this is when Cindy comes into the picture. This is really when the bulk of our story begins, which just tells you that. Oh, God, who knows what happened, even of the numbers or whatever that they, whoever they think they know or the things that they did 
have facts and found out about, there's yep. still probably a lot more. A lot Ew. more that is super <clears throat> unknown even to this day. Mm. So I, I, even though we know who he is, we know that he's the murderer, we know that he has numerous victims, there are still so many questions to this day. But um, we'll get into that later. So Cindy, she fled Seattle, left her kids, was fleeing the police. They met in 1997. They became romantically involved and bonded over their shared violent sexual fantasies, which allowed them to become not only sexual partners, but also partners in crime. David trained Cindy to be his accomplice, teaching her how to kidnap and abuse women. He even made an 18-point instructional guide titled Psychological and Physical Procedures, Initial Handling of the Captive, Captive Personal Fetish, which was taped to the wall in his toy box. And I say that with air quotes. Mm-hmm. Another accomplice that he had, so I, I'm kind of, I kind of just want to set the scene with the different characters that are in this because this is real life. It's not a movie, but again, it really... It plays out like it. Um, so his other accomplice was his own daughter, Glenda Jean Jesse Ray. She liked to be called Jesse. And in 1986, so many years before Cindy, his girlfriend, came into the picture, Jesse went was living with David in Elephant Butte and went to the police and then the FBI and said, my dad is abducting and torturing women and then he's selling them to people in Mexico. An FBI agent, Doug Belden, recalled Jesse's claims. This is a later interview with him. He said, quote, she alleged that David Parker Ray was abducting and torturing women and selling them to buyers in Mexico. However, the allegations were so nonspecific that the FBI never followed up. And not long after that, Jesse went from trying to turn him in to helping him. I mean, I I never followed up like how much time would it take? I get there were a few acres on his property, but if even if she didn't say he's doing, which I'm sure she did, like somewhere on our property, send some people out and nose around. Keep that thought in your mind because that happens multiple times in this story and it is- Where it it's like, why didn't you go? Why didn't you look into this? Because you could have stopped so many terrible things if you had. That was 1986, and they just ignored it, from what I understand. I mean, even in 1926, if you have a location... Oh, of where, course. No, I... I oh, I yeah, mean, I get what you're saying. Like, um, 11 years earlier... Uh, than meeting however Cindy. Long, yeah. Right. Like, I mean, at this so point, he's been doing this for, for years. decades, but another one comes... Passed by. Oh, yes, wow. yes. And then another accomplice and main player in this is Dennis Roy Yancey, who was apparently David's friend. I also read some accounts that he dated... Jesse, the daughter, on and off again. But he was around for a lot of these crimes and helped out. And then I already talked about it a bit, but the biggest player in this, in, or character, if you will, in this entire story is that cargo trailer toy box. It had a gynecological table in the middle. There was a mirror mounted to the ceiling so that the victims would have to watch what was being done to them. Unless they close their eyes, but I'm sure you have something to say to that, and I don't want to know right now. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, gosh. I might have to hand this one off. Yeah, it's... I don't like it. It's horrific. It, it really... It is the most, like, depths of the worst humans in in the world. 
I, I, I unfortunately, I feel like there's a maybe not a lot, but there are more people than just him. Like, like there are terrible people like this. I mean, it's just well, show me ugh. one. There's a, others. Of I course. imagine. I like that. That's true. So let's talk about some of the specifics of who and what David and his accomplices did. Great. <laughs> As I said, we already know that there are very likely previous victims all the way up from the 50s when he was a teenager. The victims that we can... Uh, how do I want to say like that? identified victims? Like yeah, the ones I, that there are, is there evidence is, for and or exactly. maybe people who survived. Thank you. Yes, exactly. Um, begin in where there's like a record of them and, and named victims where it is definitive that they were victims of David Parker Ray. Uh, begins in 1996. Kelly Garrett, who was a former friend of David's daughter, Jessie. Uh. And on July 24th, 1996, Kelly got in a fight with her then husband. And she was like, fuck this. I'm going out. I'm going to blow off steam with my friends. And she went with David's daughter, Jessie, a couple other friends to a local bar called the Blue Water Saloon in Truth or Consequences. They were having a few beers, playing a few games of pool, and everyone seemed to be having a great time. But unbeknownst to Kelly, Jesse, David's daughter, had other plans for that night, way beyond just blowing off steam. And it involved slipping a roofie into Kelly's drink, which she did. Jesse did, yes. Once Kelly was completely disoriented and almost unconscious, Jesse and her father, David, placed a padlocked dog collar and leash around Kelly's neck, put her in the car, and brought her to the toy box. Kelly awakened to find herself strapped to a cold metal table equipped with stirrups, usually only found in gynecology offices, and surrounded by an array of just horrifying torture devices from chains to saws and needles and surgical equipment. Once this horrifying reality set in of where she was and what was about to happen, David confirmed her fears by playing a 45-minute audio recording of himself detailing the various ways that he planned to torture her and what was in store for her. Hello there, bitch. You probably think you're going to be raped. And you're fucking sure right about that. As of the time this tape was made, I've taken 37 women for these purposes. Hell, maybe more by now. You are obviously here against your will. You'll be raped thoroughly and repeatedly in every hole you've got. You're not going to remember a fucking thing about this little adventure. As far as I'm concerned, you're a pretty piece of meat. Be smart and be a survivor. Have a nice day. So this recording, I have the entire transcript of it. I'm certainly not going to read the whole thing because it's very disturbing, as I'm sure you can tell from that brief snippet of audio that we just played. The whole recording was about 45 minutes, so that's really just a very small part of it and the least offensive, if you can believe it, part that that we could find. But there are a few other aspects that are pertinent to the story that I want to 
briefly read from this transcript and this one part where David says, I get off on mind games. After we are completely through with you, you're going to be drugged up real heavy with a combination of sodium pentothal and phenobarbital. They're both hypnotic drugs that will make you extremely susceptible to hypnosis, auto-hypnosis, and hypnotic suggestion. You're going to be kept drugged a couple of days while I play with your mind. By the time I get through brainwashing you, you're not going to remember a fucking thing about this little adventure. Or I might kill you. And apparently... uh, the decision was mostly based on his mood and how much the victim fought back is what he said, whether he killed them or drugged them and let them go. So another part of the the tape that was played that really stuck out said, I don't know the details of your capture because this tape is being created July 23rd, 1993 as a general advisory tape for future, for future female captives. So this tape includes that I've been raping bitches since I was old enough to jerk well, off. Statement. And at first I said, or I was thinking, well, you said it was 96 and July 24th. He recorded this on the July 23rd, 93. And then he took Kelly Garrett on July 24th, 1996. Right. So it was years later. And he had probably taken... Absolutely. So this tape, obviously, as he stated, was not just for Kelly. It was for other women. But after playing her this 45-minute tape, he proceeded to rape and torture her for two full days using electro shocks, using syringes, poking her, you threatening her with saws, blindfolding her, putting her body in different contraptions. He had all kinds of wooden contraptions where he would like bent over in uncomfortable positions. I mean, it's hard to uncomfortable know. Uncomfortable positions. Well. Isn't, I mean, <laughs> that's putting it lightly. Yes. I imagine. Yes. I don't know. Yes. But, yikes. So I found two outcomes about what happens next and one more so than the other, but I just want to present both. So one is that after two days of raping and torturing her, David put her in his car and drove her home and took her to her house and told her husband that he found her incoherent on a beach at the reservoir. More frequently than that account, I saw that David slit her throat, thought she was dead and dumped her on the side of the road near Caballo because he thought she was dead. You don't want to miss what happens next in today's murder story, so don't go anywhere. We'll be right back after a short message from our sponsors. She survived, and she managed to get to a clinic where she was treated for her injuries, went to the police, and gave a detailed account of what she endured, which included... David's name and address. Well, yeah. I mean, she knew him. She knew his daughter. Well, sure. Yeah. Even if she hadn't, uh, to some extent, I imagine she, no matter how fucked up she was, she saw him at some point. Of course. And she knew that she was with Jesse that night and all the things. Police didn't believe a word that she said. They didn't even visit his house. They didn't look into it at all. They thought that she was making it up that she was on drugs and they... Well, she was, but not by her own, uh, whatever. They sent her home. And she got home to her husband and he didn't believe her either. Aye. He screamed at her that she had been out cheating on him for three days and he quickly filed for divorce. 
and divorced her. Well, quote unquote, good. Yeah. That's if, good information. If that you come you home with mom. like a stitched up throat and, and saying that you've been abused and abducted and telling him who abducted you and that you went to the police and they did nothing and he still thinks you were out cheating. Ugh, good. Also, I imagine the clinic, it sounds like, or not sounds like, but okay, so they, of course, like anyone, Treated no matter her. what you're on, right. they'll treat you. Mm-hmm. Maybe she didn't vocalize what was go what had gone on, but she had if a she really did, hard time remembering, right? But then <clears throat> the only thing she remembered for sure is that she was raped by David right. Parker. So Ray. if she, I'm just saying, just like this, police didn't believe her. Her husband didn't believe her. If she was able to vocalize that to the clinic, right? They didn't believe her either because right. the, they're they mandated to file it. a report. Yep. So. She had a very limited recollection of the events, but she did, as I said, remember that. That's a godsend. And I mean, godsend quote. She, after her husband filed for divorce, she moved to Colorado and was not heard of again for a very long time. Meaning, at some point, we hear from her again. Perhaps. One year after Kelly's horrifying experience, another woman, Marie Parker, disappeared from Truth or Consequences. 1997, but she wasn't quite as fortunate as Kelly because after she disappeared, she was never seen again. And we'll learn more about Marie Parker later and how she kind of plays into this story. But I just wanted to plant that seed that people in Truth or Consequences were starting to take notice that maybe something strange was going on. In 1999, a woman named Cynthia V. Hill would provide police with a major break in a case that had far more questions than answers at this point. So to give you a little bit of backstory on Cynthia V. Hill, she grew up in Albuquerque and lived with her grandmother. By the age of 11 years old, she had been sexually assaulted multiple times by a family member, and she reported it. She told her, her grandmother and it was dismissed. Nothing was ever done about it. So she ran away, found her, her mother, apparently, and began living with her mother, Elizabeth Molina. Her mother was a big partier, regularly brought Cynthia out on the town with her to bars, to clubs. Um, and this, she was young. She was 12 13 years old. So she was witnessing drugs, drinking, sex from a very young age. And when she was 15 in 1992, her mother turned up dead, murdered in a ditch. And because her mom had ties to the drug scene and was kind of viewed as a sex worker, a um, drug addict, they, it wasn't thoroughly investigated. Uh, Uh, As in they kind of dismissed. They dismissed it. They wrote it off as a drug overdose. Mm. So at this point, Cynthia really didn't have anywhere to go. Uh, She had no home. She was in and out of juvie. She was on and off of drugs. And she had experienced, as I said, um, sexual assault from a family member, domestic violence. She was struggling, to say the least. So she didn't know what to do or how to support herself. So she turned to prostitution on the streets of Albuquerque and was living in and out of various motels along the 
in quotes, they say the track of Albuquerque, which is, I guess, an area known for, for sex workers to live and is work. Is near a train track? I don't know. I guess it doesn't matter. So this was in the 90s. Yeah. In 1998, five years after her mom died, she was about 20 years old, and she had a very good friend, Raymunda Baca, and she turned up murdered. Um, she was also a sex worker and one of the um, men that she was having a, a date with murdered her. Uh-huh. And he was convicted of the murder, died in prison apparently. So Cynthia's mother turns up dead in a ditch and then her best friend, who's also in the same line of work that Cynthia's in, turns up dead due to her work. Understandably, at this point, Cynthia is feeling nervous, a little paranoid, and perhaps going about her days with a bit more caution than usual. And also in 1998, Cynthia was arrested for trafficking cocaine. She had 0.18 grams on her, which is equivalent to about nine grain, grains of rice. And so she, she was arrested for this, but she uh, remained out of jail. She was just awaiting her trial uh, in March of 1999. So there was a lot of time that passed from when she was arrested and then, you know, the back backlog and how long it takes to actually get your the, trial. Through the judicial system, exactly. the bureaucracy of exactly. it all. Exactly, like, yeah. They want, I mean, I don't know they, but like, I just think about the ang- even if you, you you know you're guilty or n- no you're not guilty the drag out and the anxiety provoking yep. nature of that wow yep so she was awaiting trial and on March 19th 1999 she was 22 and she was still doing sex work in a parking lot in Albuquerque New Mexico a man approached her in this parking lot and offered her $20 for oral sex in his Toyota. And when he handed her the money, she reached down to put it in her shoe. And when she stood back up, he flashed a badge and said, I'm an undercover cop and you're under arrest for solicitation of sex work. Suddenly out of nowhere, a woman came out and shocked her with a cattle prod. Ow. And they put her in the back of his car. The Toyota? Mm-hmm. and drove her to his soundproofed trailer in Elephant Butte, chained her up to a table, and proceeded to play that recording for 45 minutes that informed her of what was in store for her. This is from the recording. She is now their sex slave. She could expect a great deal of abuse, among other things. She would have to have sex with them, have sex with animals, be forcibly raped by them, by sex toys, by their friends, have her nipples stretched to the fullest extent they would go, give oral sex to David whenever he demanded it. And she was also told in this recording that women before her had died while in his possession. If you want to find out what happens to Cynthia, listen next week. Tune in next week. Period. Yeah. Short and sweet with this. This is a very heavy one. Yeah, it is. All right, guys. Thank you for listening. And we will be back in a few days with a lookup list. And uh, say what you say. I think that's important at the end of this one. Good night and good luck. And hug your loved ones. That is, that is it. Hug your loved ones. We'll see you guys soon. Bye. Death by Southwest is hosted by Jenna Schneider and Margot Carmichael. Executive produced by Margot Carmichael. 
Produced by Jenna Schneider. Audio editing and sound design by Margot Carmichael. Music by Soundstripe. And a special thanks to Edward R. Murrow for letting us borrow his famous sign-off phrase, good night and good luck. Good night.